good, all that is sacred, and in the warm and loving energy of this community, Spiritual Life Center. If you're joining us for the first time, we especially want to welcome you because we know that you are not here by accident. You're here by divine appointment. Thank you for joining us on your unique path today, and we hope you enjoy this special message from this past Sunday's service. Yes. Thank you, Anne, for that wonderful rendition of that classic tune from Pharaoh Saunders. I think it's Sanders, actually. Indeed, the creator has a master plan. As I listen to songs from time to time, it, it often conjures up memories and that song by Pharaoh Sanders, I think, came out just before I entered college. I think about the number of years that have gone by and say, where did the time go? But I remember playing that tune, and I was in the dorm room with some of my other classmates, and some of the best times that I had was being up at 1 or 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning just pontificating coming up with all the answers to the challenges and the problems that we had in the world. And we knew what the answers were. So we might be listening to Pharaoh Sanders say, the creator has a master plan. And I know that we were there and we knew what the answer to that plan was. I can't remember exactly what was said because there was so much smoke in the room. We couldn't hear each other, but I know it was deep. There is a master plan. We may not see it. We may not believe it because it's, we're not vibrating at the level of consciousness from which this plan exists. You know, Emily Cady, in her classic text, Lessons in Truth, in the chapter on unity of spirit, says that if we did not know it, as a living reality that behind the multitude and variety of human experiences, you know, all those experiences, wars and rumors of war, the conflicts and all the difficulties going on, that behind all of that, there is a mastermind that sees the end from the beginning. And we did not know it. If we do not know it, we will become discouraged based upon what we see, the encouraged things we see in the outer world. But I believe that song is reminding us there is a blueprint. There is a plan. There is a vision waiting to catch our attention. And we're here to recognize this master plan, to get a glimpse of it. And I think for us to get there, to get that glimpse, we need an evolution or maybe even a revolution of values. 
And so we're exploring that theme this month, the revolution of values. And this evolution or transformation is indeed taking place. It simply means that we're moving through the hierarchy of values. And we're becoming aware more and more that there are a number of levels of values or stages of values that I think we go through. Of course, there's the natural values. Probably started or identified by Charles Darwin when he talked about natural values in terms of survival of the fittest and how organisms or beings are inherently struggling against one another for what appear to be limited resources. I got to get mine. And only among the strongest, maybe the most robust, the most adaptable of us will emerge victorious. That's the survival of the fittest. Of course, that's just one stage of values that we have lived by, maybe even lived by from time to time today as we look at the world. But understand that we are unfinished beings, and we can go beyond mere survival. We can go beyond that particular stage. And we may move beyond that stage to what we may call or what has been identified as hedonistic values. And basically it says that if it feels good, do it. You remember those values? Well, I do. I remember those values. You know, if it feels good, we just got involved and just did it. You know, back in the day, there's some of those values that were running so wild that, you know, we would live those hedonistic values and we'd ride this roller coaster of life, having these ups and downs and ups and downs and trying to seek satisfaction from this temporary high that we would get on and never at peace. Because you can never get true fulfillment from anything outside of yourself. It's only temporary. It's fleeting. And then we may move on to what we call materialistic values. We know about those values. It's just sometimes it, it goes to an extreme where people are hoarding and getting and accumulating, often at other people's expense. And that's a phase that, you know, the human life goes through collectively and individually. And then I remember around the time that uh, maybe in the 60s and 70s, there was this humanistic values, a humanistic movement. The humanistic values were about how to be successful in the outside world, how to be light. And that's okay. That's part of the journey of our maturation as human beings. It's okay. We have to lay our structures in place. But then we realize maybe there's a little bit more, and some people get involved in what they call religious values. And when I'm talking about religious values, I'm speaking about that religiosity where people are trying to do the right thing to get a blessing from God. And so we may end up studying different things, you know, following the Ten Commandments or moving through life, not trying to make too many mistakes, trying to placate this thing we call God religiously by doing certain things so God will act on our behalf and not do anything harmful to us. But there is no God like that. Because God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God does not change. There's only one presence, one power, one reality that's everywhere present in its fullness. And it's always being itself. So we're not here to get God to do something for us. 
We're here to be available for what God is always doing and to jointly participate in the good of God that is happening all of the time and has never stopped. Because there's something that transcends a religious value or high religiosity, and that is spiritual values. We're in tune with spiritual values. We're in tune with what is the power and the presence and the love of God that is changeless. And this is where we begin to see and catch a glimpse of the master plan. Because we begin to move from competition to cooperation so that we can continue to co-evolve that which the world in which we live is seeking to get to. You may be familiar with a story about a teacher who bought a bunch of balloons for the school and brought them to the school. And the teacher has asked the children to blow all the balloons up and to write their names on the balloons. And there were like hundreds of those balloons, and they, they tossed the balloons in the hallway. And then the teacher mixed up all the balloons from one end of the hallway to the other. And then she gave them instructions. Instructions were that within five minutes to find the balloon with their name on it. And all the children ran around looking for their balloon very frantically, but time ran out. And no one was able to find their balloon with their name on it. And then the teacher told them to take the balloon closest to them. And to give it to the person whose name was on that balloon. And in less than two minutes, everyone had their balloon. And the teacher said, you know, balloons are like happiness. No one will find it looking for theirs only. Instead, if everyone cares about each other's, they will find theirs as quickly as well. I think on a small scale, this is a spiritual value in action and the recognition that we all do well when we all do well. This is the evolutionary jump I think we must take to avail ourselves to the creator's master plan for humanity, which means we must question some of the basic assumptions that we may have been living by that we've done without question, without challenge. And these are tenets of many of the economic, the political, and social ways of being in the world. Meaning willingness to, to share will be replaced. We replace greed. And peaceful coexistence will be valued over violence. And individual self-importance will be transformed into the humble realization that our ability to truly thrive depends upon adhering to values that sustains life for everybody. Now, this doesn't mean that we lose our individuality or individual self-interest somehow disappears. I think we'll always continue to be those unique, unrepeatable individuals that we are. But we will restore the balance in which we realize our own self-interest has to be negotiated with the greater interest of the communities in which we live and in the world in which we live because we are all interrelated. So I think the next step of our evolution will be cooperative synergy over mere competitive exploitation. 
You know, back in 2015, there was a CEO by the name of Dan Price. And uh, he had a company, pretty successful company. But he had a revelation because one thing he did that day in 2015, he raised everybody's salary of all the people that worked there at his uh, credit card processing company. He raised everybody's salary in this company to $70,000 a year, which is pretty good. And he was making a lot of money. He slashed his own salary to give his employees that raise. These was one of the ways he helped pay for it. Now, you know, I, I looked at that. I remember that reading that back in that day. I said, this ain't going to work. No company can survive doing something like that. The whole thing is to make as much money as you can and oftentimes try to pay the employees as little as possible. But he was hailed as a hero for some people. Others were thinking, well, he must be out of his mind. Because he's going to be in bankruptcy before soon, before, you know, before it passes by. But here's the thing. He met those predictions, and his predictions of failure with his critics in an interesting way. Because here's what happened. Instead, the company thrived. It actually almost doubled the number of its employees. It tripled the growth of that company. It led to fiercely loyal employees, and the turnover rate was cut in half. And these employees' knowledge of their customers skyrocketed to such a degree that they stayed, because they stayed with them for so much longer. Now, this is a very unusual thing. It's not going to be adopted, I'm sure, anytime soon in our world. But he went against the grain of what was expected from someone heading an organization or company such as his. And like all companies during, or at least many, I should say, not all of them, because there's some companies that really got super rich during COVID, but that's a whole other story. Uh, but when COVID hit, the company lost half its business. But it bounced back because its employees voluntarily took a temporary pay cut on their own, on their own initiation. And then not only eventually when they got back on track, they got all their pay cuts back, but they also lost all their lost salaries were repaid as well. Like I said, as far as the world's not ready for this, this is not commonplace. This is like, you know, has blasphemy, I imagine, for most businesses. But this particular CEO had a revelation. Something came to him. It was an incident that, you know, felt, he felt that, man, there was another way for him to do business in the world. And he realized that, hey, if we all do better, we all can do better. And along the way, this CEO had a transformation of values based upon an interchange he had with one of his employees, which wasn't very pleasant. I think what he had, maybe not consciously, is that he decided to be of service to a spiritual idea. I think for us to transcend the human predicament, and to capture the master plan, we must embody a value system that says we're not mere here merely to succeed from a materialistic point of view. We're here to be of service to a spiritual idea. This is the new definition of success. To be of service to a spiritual idea. And when we're in service to a spiritual idea, involved in that idea is abundance. Involved in that idea is prosperity. Involved in that idea is vitality and vigor, unbounded energy. 
Involved in that idea is transforming knowledge and divine wisdom, compassion and understanding, the ability to forgive ourselves and others and to see things from the highest point of view. To be of service, we become a finely tuned instrument of the presence and the power and the love of God. We become a service of, to wholeness. We become a service to demonstrate heaven on earth. You know, I shared earlier that, you know, uh, some of the uh, Unity ministers have a Facebook page in which is a, a Facebook group. And one of the friends and the ministers, you know, put this question for people to, to answer. I think he was just trying to stir stuff up, knowing him. But the question was, you know, can we go into our communities and, and start saying that God is absolute good? And everywhere present, you know, the first principle. When all of this stuff is going on, this war in Ukraine, can you do that? That's one of the most challenging questions that sometimes we get in this work. You know, we look at the world and we see atrocities. We see individuals doing what appear to be evil things to other human beings. And then we ask, how can you say that God is good? How could that possibly be? Now, I didn't answer it in the chat, but I can think about it. But here's the thing. When we say that God is good, we're not saying that, you know, there aren't ups and downs in life. We aren't saying that there are certain people who are going to do things that are just contrary to, to, to the well-being of their fellow human beings. We're not saying that God is good when the facts of life are not to our liking. But we're saying that God is good because this energy, this presence, this power, this love is changeless. And it's waiting for a consciousness that's big enough, bold enough, courageous enough to be in alignment with it. It is not going to intervene and because we're not automatons. It's not going to direct us what to do. The choice is ours to be in tune with that. And when we're in tune with that, we begin to transform the very world in which we live because our world is nothing more than outpicturing of what's going on within the group soul starting where we are. When we begin to make that kind of transformation, then our world begins to reflect the highest and best of who and what we are as spiritual beings. Now, we can't control all the things that are happening with those and the powers to be. We do our part. We hold the high watch. We hold the vision. We speak the words of those things. But the most important thing is what do we do in our universe where we are at this moment? Because if we cannot create any kind of harmony between us right where we are in our little world, there's no hope for the rest of the world. So it begins with us. And then that begins to radiate out to the rest of the world. We begin to anchor on earth the possibilities of the human spirit. So that was my rant for this morning. <laughs> so thinking back to that opening song by Pharaoh Sanders, the creator has a master plan. Realize the creator, God, the force, whatever we call it, gives us a glimpse of what that master plan is all about. Sometimes it comes through other of, of its creations, I'm going to ask our, our master individual that's doing the PowerPoint to put this little picture up there. It's a photograph. Now, this photograph, right in the middle, there's a, there's a, a drop of water. It's on a leaf. And there are 12 ants 
gathered around that particular drop of water to get a drink. Now, the interesting thing or the amazing thing about this, this phenomenon is that the ants have divided themselves into four groups, four groups of three. And the reason that they did that was to maintain the balance of the water drop and to keep it from tilting and then falling to the ground. They just did that on their own. Well, maybe that was through the master plan of spirit working through them. You know, the ants were there to cooperate and then divide the water amongst them so they all could benefit. I think it's the ants' way of demonstrating how we all do better when we all do better. We all do better. So thank you so much for that demonstration. You know, after the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln put into practice his words, malice toward none and charity for all. At the time, the Confederacy was defeated. But he did not wish to inflict more pain on the South or humiliate them in any way. He went to the soldiers who opposed him, and he comforted the the rebels who had been wounded. He visited the graves of those who had died. And he told his army leaders to let them go home. Give them their horses to plow their fields. Give them their guns to hunt for their food. Help them do better, to be better. Someone during this time said to Abraham Lincoln that, you know, Are you not supposed to destroy your enemies? And he said to them, if I turn my enemy into a friend, have I not destroyed my enemy? I think it was the same approach that Harry Truman took after World War II toward Germany, toward Japan, America's so-called enemies at that time. But they became allies. They became very prosperous and peaceful allies along the way. And they are that today. I think on some level, those individuals knew that we all do well when we all do well. This is what spiritual values are all about. There are values of universal love and mutual benefit. It is to regard other people's countries as our own. Regard other people's families as our own. Regard other people's person as one's own. When all the world, when all the people in the world begin to see each other from who they are as they really are and begin to express and radiate the divine love, the strong will not overcome the weak. The many will not oppress the few. The well-to-do will not insult those who are not well-to-do. The honored will not despise the humble, and the cunning will not try to deceive those who are ignorant. Because of spiritual value, universal love, all the seeming calamities that we face, the hatreds that seem to be radiating out in the world, the animosity that is in the world will not arise. 
Because on some level, we will begin to embody and realize that we all do well when we all do well without a shadow of a doubt. And we will begin to transform the very world in which we live. We don't take on the whole thing. We just take one little piece where we are, do our part within our own minds and hearts with those that are reflecting, working with us, around us, to us. We begin to see the, the divine nature within them. And we begin to anchor on earth the possibilities of the human spirit. Without a doubt, we all do well when we all do well. Peace and blessings to you. We are grateful for the opportunity to share with you today and hope you've taken something from this Sunday's message. If you'd like to hear more from Spiritual Life Center, be sure to click subscribe on the podcast platform you're listening from. You can find out more about our community on our website at www.slcworld.org. We look forward to being a part of your continued spiritual journey. Wherever you are, God is, and all is well. Spiritual Life Center Oh